the quality of your storytelling will literally make or break your book. Narrative writing allows you to grab and hold your reader's attention, to teach them your ideas in an entertaining way and relate those ideas back to their own lives. So let's start with some good news. You don't have to be a professional writer to write a great story. In fact, you probably have a bunch of good stories and you already know how to tell them. Stories about the best and worst and craziest things that have ever happened to you. Stories that you've told countless times to your friends and your colleagues. That's because people are natural born storytellers. So you can trust yourself to know which stories you need to tell in your book and you don't really need to make the process of writing any more complicated than it has to be. Now, all that said, I wanna share two story structures that I frequently use when I'm mapping out my stories. So first, I'm a huge fan of Pixar's story spine. Here's how it goes. Once upon a time and every day until one day, and because of that, because of that, because of that, until finally and ever since that day. And if you want an even simpler story structure, you can use what's called the three acts. Act one is the setup. Act two is the confrontation or the change. Act three is the resolution. So I'll give you an example, and this is a show, I know it's not a book, but it's my favorite show of all time, Breaking Bad. The setup is typically a relatable problem that a relatable character is dealing with. In Breaking Bad, Walter White is this chemist who's living an unfulfilling life. He's unappreciated. He works part-time at a car wash because his family is struggling financially. His son has cerebral palsy and they have an unexpected baby on the way. Then all of a sudden, Walt discovers that he has terminal cancer. That's the inciting incident, which leads to Walt deciding to cook crystal meth so he can make enough money for his family before he dies. From that point, it's act two, the confrontation, which are really all the obstacles that Walt faces from this new direction that he's taken in his life from this change. For instance, he has to work with a junkie. He has to lie to his wife. Drug dealers threaten his life. He accidentally kills one of them. And all of a sudden, Walt is a felon and a murderer who believes that the police are on their way to arrest him. And then act three is the resolution. It turns out that it wasn't the police trying to catch Walt, it was just a fire truck. And he returns home feeling more alive than he's been in years. He's had this mega change, and that story kicks off one of the greatest TV series of all time. So like I said before, you don't need to be a professional writer to tell a great story. You don't need to be Vince Gilligan and tell something as exciting as Breaking Bad. You just need to tell stories in your writing because people love stories. What's just as important as your story structure is thinking about how to tell the story. In other words, what should you focus on? What should you leave out? And these decisions need to happen on a case-by-case -case basis. And really the best way to learn how to make them is to see the results of good writing and editing in action. So I'm gonna give you some examples of great narrative writing in nonfiction books. So instead of getting hung up on the details on whether to tell your story in first person or third person, really great authors just focus on entertaining the reader. So no matter what kind of nonfiction you're writing, people respond to stories, especially stories that start out with a problem. So I'll give you these first paragraphs of Tiffany Haddish's The Last Black Unicorn. 
School was hard for me for lots of reasons. One was I couldn't read until like ninth grade. Also, I was a foster kid for most of high school. And when my mom went nuts, I had to live with my grandma. That all sucked. I got popular in high school, but before that, I wasn't so popular. Kids would tease me all the time in elementary and middle school. They'd say I got flies on me and I smell like onions. The flies thing came from the moles on my face. I got one under my eye, I had one on my chin, and so on. That was kind of mean. The onions thing was because my mom used to make eggs in the morning with onions in them. Every damn morning, I had to eat eggs and onions. That would just make you stink. The whole house would stink. Yeah, it was mean to say I stunk like onions, but I did stink like onions. So let's talk about why this is great. These opening paragraphs of Tiffany Haddish's memoir grab the reader's attention. For one, the style is conversational. There's nothing formal or stilted about the writing. In fact, it reads like the author is talking directly to the reader. That's the first key to writing narratives, is to write like you're actually talking to someone. In fact, don't even think of it as writing. Just think of it as storytelling. Number two, it starts with a highly relatable problem. School might have been hard for different people in different ways, but we've all been kids, and most of us have had some kind of trouble with school at some point or another. And third, it gets personal and vulnerable quickly. If the first line of the book presents a problem that almost everyone can relate to, the second line moves like lightning into the author's specific experience. She said, I couldn't read until like ninth grade. And sharing a vulnerable and personal experience makes the story come alive. It's straightforward, it's open, it's honest, and it admits something that most people would be far too ashamed to admit. A lot of great writing comes down to the simplest writing lesson of all, which is to be brutally honest about the things that feel the most private or make you feel the most vulnerable that is virtually guaranteed to grab the reader's attention. Number four, she doesn't over-explain things. In the first few lines, the reader learns that Tiffany couldn't read until the ninth grade, that she was a foster kid, that her mother, quote-unquote, went nuts. But we don't get any details about any of those things, at least not yet. And by not explaining them here, Tiffany uses those revealed facts to invite the reader deeper into the story. The explanation can come later. Number five, she offers the right sensory details. At the same time, the author does explain some things. Specifically, she tells the reader where her tormentor's taunts were coming from. Details like the stink of onions are vivid in the reader's imagination. But these details aren't just sensory, they're intensely personal, which is the toughest part of the writing process. Even in this very short piece of writing, the author was willing to cut deep. Number six, the reader's interest drives the organization of the story. When they first sit down to write, a lot of authors feel compelled to present their story in chronological order. But the actual timing of events isn't what drives a good story. Instead, narrative texts should be driven by the reader's interest. So in three short paragraphs, Tiffany jumped from high school to middle school to serve the reader. And she uses these miniature flashbacks to set the scene for the whole book. She isn't trying to present an ordered storyline. She's presenting new information in the order that will best draw the reader into the story. And it works 
brilliantly. I'll give you another example from David Goggins' Can't Hurt Me, which was one of the best-selling nonfiction books of 2019, just behind Michelle Obama. We found hell in a beautiful neighborhood. In 1981, Williamsville offered the tastiest real estate in Buffalo, New York. Leafy and friendly, its safe streets were dotted with dainty homes filled with model citizens. Doctors, attorneys, steel plant executives, dentists, and professional football players all lived there with their adoring wives and their 2.2 kids. Cars were new, roads swept, possibilities endless. We're talking about a living, breathing American dream. Hell was a corner on Paradise Road. That's where we lived, in a two-story, four-bedroom, white wooden home with four square pillars framing a front porch that led to the widest, greenest lawn in Williamsville. We had a vegetable garden out back and a two-car garage stocked with a 1962 Rolls-Royce Silver Cloud a 1980 Mercedes 450 SLC, and in the driveway, a sparkling new 1981 black Corvette. Everyone on Paradise Road lived near the top of the food chain, and based on appearances, most of our neighbors thought that we, the so-called happy, well-adjusted Goggins family, were the tip of that spear. But glossy surfaces reflect much more than they reveal. All right, so let's talk about why this is great. Although the paragraph structure here is more like a narrative essay than a casual conversation, the writing skills are just obvious. First, it starts with a personal problem. Here, again, the very first line presents a problem. By using the first person we, the author makes the problem personal. But in this case, what draws the reader in isn't relatability, but curiosity about the unexpected. We found hell in a beautiful neighborhood. The juxtaposition between hell and a beautiful, presumably peaceful neighborhood catches the reader's attention and holds their interest, and it makes them want to know more. Number two, it presents a powerful conflict. The opening line mentions hell. Then several sentences describe a beautiful neighborhood, but the paragraph ends with hell again. One of the most basic facts about stories is that readers need conflict to stay interested. Paradise in and of itself is boring. Why? Because the human brain was built to solve problems, and when we find a problem, we latch onto it. And so here, the author paints the picture of an affluent American neighborhood, but continues to touch on this idea of finding hell in there, which creates tension through foreshadowing. But glossy surfaces reflect much more than they reveal. Number three, it paints a picture with details. So David could have simply said it was a wealthy neighborhood, but the writing paints a more vivid image by using just the right level of detail. Doctors, attorneys, steel plant executives, dentists, and professional football players live there with their adoring wives and their 2.2 kids. By listing these specific professions, the author brings the street alive. These are real people. And at the same time, he shows the reader the facade they're all hiding behind by using the phrase 2.2 kids. There's no such thing as two tenths of a kid. The street is both real and fake at the same time. 
which is exactly the author's point without having to say it directly. All right, so let me give you some more tips on how to improve your storytelling in your own writing. The art of good storytelling is important, but don't get hung up on it while you're trying to write your first draft. Just write your book and be as honest as you can while you're doing it. And don't worry about your writing style or choosing the right sensory details or any of that when you're writing the first draft of your manuscript. Just get your truth down onto the page. And once your draft is finished, the polish can come in the editing. You can hire a great editor and trust them to help you clean it up and make it as great as it can be. Thanks so much for listening to the episode. We hope you got a lot out of it. If you found this episode valuable, then definitely check out our free online workshops at scribebookschool.com. During the workshop, we'll teach you our exact step-by-step -step process for how to write, publish, and market your book. It's totally free, and you can watch it right from the comfort of your home. Again, you can sign up at scribebookschool.com. And beyond that, you can support the podcast by subscribing, rating, and reviewing on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you listen to your podcasts. Stay tuned because we have a lot of good stuff coming on Scribe Book School. Mm -hmm.